Well, welcome again. Welcome. And I know some of you are hearing uh, a little bit about capital campaign and all of that. We announced this past week that we're launching a capital campaign to build a building, and we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But if you're sitting there and you're like, hey, I've got questions about this, there are folks that are going to be at the registration table on your way out to talk about, to answer questions about this thing called Growing Together that we're doing. Uh, We merged about two and a half years ago as a church and became one body because we believed that we were better together. And we've seen the fruit of that. Amen, church? We've seen the fruit of that. And so now as we're growing together, we're expanding, we're doing that, um, and we're excited about it. And uh, so we want to share. And, and, and one of the biggest things is Ian and I were praying this morning while the worship team was practicing. We, we, we prayed in my office and we just said, you know what? We want the unity that Jesus prays for in John 17. And so we want to make sure that we're all on the same page with this as much as possible. And so we had some Q&As this past week. And, uh, and, and we've got some folks that are available to answer questions for you uh, that are going to be um, at that registration table. So, you ready to dive into God's Word this morning? We're going to be in Exodus chapter 14, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there and uh, just kind of hold your finger there. I heard a story last week that I wanted to share with you because I think it, I think it applies so well. There was a friend of mine that uh, was on a red-eye flight or, or preparing to get on a red-eye flight from Los Angeles back to Atlanta. And um, this, was, this was a while ago. This was before uh, COVID and all of that. But as he told the story, I thought, wow, that just fits so well with where we are as a church. He's a frequent flyer. Anybody here frequent flyers? Anybody here like your platinum level? Jan, I know you are, Jan. There's, there's her hand back there. Yep. Um, and, and you're frequent. That's something I don't think I'll ever get to, but I love flying. I love flying. How many of you love flying? Yeah, you love, you love flying. How many of you are like, uh-uh, don't put me on the phone, I'll drive. Okay, very good. I'll drive, I'll drive overseas to that mission trip as long as I don't have to fly. Um, I, I hear you. I see those hands, okay? Um, but I enjoy flying, and my friend was getting on the plane, and he asked as he got there, because he was like a platinum-level frequent flyer, whatever you, whatever you call it, and, uh, and he asked if they had any upgrades from Coach to first class because those frequent flyers, those flat, those platinum people, they get the first choice on the upgrade. And sure enough, he got the last upgrade. And so he was going to be sitting in first class. And so he's walking through the airport. He goes through security, but he had the fast, you know, way through security because he was, you know, like, like pre-checked or whatever, whatever they call it. Again, something I never get to achieve. I, I stand in the, in the, you know, I don't fly so often line. Um, and, and wait, um, but, but he was just all the way to the gate. He said, I was just praising God, right? God, I will serve you forever. Thank you for your blessings. You are awesome to me. Goes to board the plane, gets on, and you know, they board the first class people first, which I hate that, right? Because they just walk on there. All you first class people, I pray you're convicted by this right here. And the way you just walk on there and you stare at all us poor folks, Right? And like, yep, I'm going on first class. I'm getting on first, and I'm going to have my hot towel and my hot meal before you even think on, about getting on this plane. Right? I pray, never mind, never mind. That was me. Okay. But he gets on there, and all the folks are bored, and they're about to close the door. And the only thing better about getting bumped to first class, how many of you know this, and this is true anywhere on the plane, especially for a guy like me, 
the only thing better than getting bumped to first class is having no one show up in the seat next to you. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, that just screams glory. And so he's sitting there, he's just worshiping, God, I'm going to worship you forever. I'm going to serve you forever. You're awesome. And then right before they close the cabin door, a guy comes onto the plane. And the way my friend said it, they were in L.A., he said, you probably could have smelled him in Maine. And Brother Phil said, no, God, please, no, I'll serve you forever. Please, I trust you, God, please, not the seat next to me. Sure enough, the guy walks over and says, excuse me, that's my seat. And so Phil got up, he moved out of the way, and guy goes and sits down. Come to find out, this, this, this guy, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but this guy was a part of a cult that didn't believe in showering out in LA. They didn't believe in shower. They believed in, you know, you, you, anyway, right? You, you get, you get the picture, right? And so Phil finally got to the point where he said, I've got to reverse this blessing, right? I've got to reverse this blessing. I got to go ask if my seat is available in coach again. So he walks up to the, the flight attendant and says, um, is there anything I can do to get back into coach? I just believe that somebody back there may need the blessing of sitting up in first class. Can I exchange a ticket? And she said, no, the registry is done. There is nothing I can do for you. And, um, and you just need to take your seat. And he said, no, no, seriously, can I go switch with somebody? And she finally looked at me and she finally looked at him and said, um, sir, we all understand your situation. I got something that just, okay, whew, something just flew on my sunglass. I didn't know if it was a bee or what. Um, she, said, she said, sir, we all understand your situation. We can smell it too. She said, but that is your assigned seat. That is your assignment for this flight. And Phil goes back to his seat, and he said, the whole flight, I said, God, why in the world would you do this to me? Right? And he goes from like, God, you're awesome to God, are you kidding me? Right? Are you kidding me? And I think, I think about so often the Israelites being in the same position. We see the Israelites over and over and over again through the book of Exodus, through, through the Old Testament, right? Go from the mountaintop with God to God, are you kidding me? And sometimes it's tempting for us as we're going to talk about the Israelites today. Sometimes it's tempting for us, kind of like Peter, right? I feel like Peter gets a bad rap in the Gospels, you know, for, for taking his eyes off of Jesus and beginning to sink, for asking so many questions of Jesus. But you know, so often I feel like if we were to identify with anybody in Scripture, we would probably identify most with the Israelites, with Peter, as we go about life. Because how, how many of us would just say, you know what, I've, this past week, this past month, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us would say, you know what, I've prayed for a different assignment lately. I've prayed for something to shift lately. And then it shifted and you're like, wait a minute, God, can we just go back? Can we just, can, can we switch back? God, I, I, liked, I liked the assignment I had last week better. And so many of us kind of jump back and forth, back and forth. And that's what I want us to look at today, Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. This is a popular passage. It's the Israelites 
crossing the Red Sea. But I want to set this up just a little bit before we start reading in verse 1. Many of us know the story, but God called Moses through what? A burning bush, through a burning bush to follow him and to go set the Israelites free. Right? Why? Because they were under Pharaoh's rule. They were under Egyptian rule and they were slaves to the Egyptians. And God wanted to set the Israelites free and he wanted to use Moses to do it. If you go back in scripture, you can look at how um, God uh, calls Moses and Moses gave these excuses as to why someone else would be better fit. And God's like, nope, you're the guy. I want you to go and set these Israelites free and I want you to lead them. I want you to lead them. So Moses is faithful, he goes, some plagues happen all throughout, and, and then finally, finally, Pharaoh says go, right? Pharaoh says go, and the people leave, and we pick up in Exodus chapter 14, verse 1, with God speaking to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihiroth, okay, between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so we, we see God speaking here, right? And, he, and God tells Moses where to lead Israel. Nothing new here, right? Nothing new. God had already done that. God did that all the time, that he was leading Moses as Moses was leading the people. Because the truth is, God determines and directs the journey. God determines and directs the journey. God directs the journey even if to his people it appears that it doesn't make sense. Even if to his people, it appears dangerous. But note, if you're taking notes, that God does it for our good. There are times that God takes us on an alternate route for our own good. There are times that God leads us around a, a, a detour or something like that for our own good or because there's something that he wants to produce in, there, in, in us. Like we talked about last week with Philip and feeding the 5,000. God was proving, Jesus was proving Philip. And God travels with us along these paths. That as we go, he's leading us and he travels with us because God used the cloud. If you look at the verse before in 1322, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God was leading his people and going with them. They were not traveling alone. Listen to me, church. If you're a child of God this morning, you're not traveling alone. It may feel like your prayers aren't reaching the ceiling. It may feel like God is so distant from you, but you are not traveling alone. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. He was with them all along the way, just as he is with us. But God was setting the Israelites up. I mean, you can kind of see it, that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart so much so that Pharaoh would pursue the Israelites. And so then we see Pharaoh strategizing in verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this thing we've done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, took his army with him, and took 600 
hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihiroth in front of Baal Zephon. So we see Pharaoh strategizing. See, here's the truth. God knew Pharaoh's heart. Right? God knew Pharaoh's heart. He knew that he would change his mind. He knew he, once he realized, oh, that these Israelites are gone from serving us. Once he kind of realized the impact of that, the effect that that would have on him, he knew that he would change his mind. And sure enough, no, no sooner had this band of millions left Egypt than Pharaoh had regrets. And so he called forth a mighty army, went in hot pursuit of Israel, and God made sure of it that he hardened Pharaoh's heart because God's plan was working. But then again, God's plan always works. God rules. He's sovereign over nations, people, and circumstances. And the truth is nothing happens. Nothing happens. Look at your neighbor and say nothing. Nothing happens. Nothing happens without God's permission. God rules, he is sovereign, and so even though Pharaoh thinks he's in control and, and thinks that he's about to reconquer his slaves, God has another plan in mind. And then here come the Israelites on the plain, right? When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you while we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You see the, you see the response here, right? These Egyptians, excuse me, these Israelites respond. They saw and heard the advancing army. And the, and, the, and the issue that they had here, the issue that they had here is they were kind of trapped in this cul-de-sac, okay? They were kind of trapped in this cul-de-sac. So we're going to set this up for just a minute. Is that all right? We're going to set this up for just a minute. Okay, section one. This is section one right here, right? All my section one people. How y'all doing? All right, we're the Israelites. Okay, we're the Israelites, and and we got to pick a we got to pick a a, a a firm leader, right? That's um that's got this. Okay, so Herb. Okay, Herb is our Moses. All right, and Moses is is leading us, right? And he's taking us. We've just been set free from the Egyptians' rule, right? And we're we're excited. We were on the journey, and now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, we see section three. You guys are section three back here, right? You're the Egyptians, okay? And you got Pharaoh back there. Let's say uh, John Huthersall. He's your Pharaoh, right? The king the king back there, and uh, he's leading you after us, right? And behind us here, we're trapped because we've got the Red Sea behind us, okay? We've got the Red Sea behind us. We've got the Egyptians coming after us, okay? Okay, Israelites, you see the Egyptians back there? They're coming after us. And over here, section two, you guys get an exciting assignment. You know what you are? Mountains. You're mountains, 
right? But we're trapped. The Israelites are trapped because the, the, the Egyptians are coming after us. Mountains on one side that we can't get up and over. There's, there's millions, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of Israelites. They sure can't get up and over the mountains before the Egyptians catch them. And they've got the sea behind them. And so we Israelites are trapped in this cul-de-sac, right? And God, Moses, God has led Moses in leading us to be trapped, and the Israelites say it would have been better for us to serve back under these Egyptians, these mean Egyptians, as their slaves. Sorry, section three. Okay. It would have been better for us to serve them and stay under their rule than to die out here in the wilderness with the Red Sea behind us and the mountains over there. We're trapped. Right? We're trapped. We're trapped. Have you ever had that person... I know I've told this story before. Have you ever had that person, the glass is half empty? Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever had that person in your life? Have you ever had that person in your life when you're trying to do something big and they're just like, this is never going to work, Dan. Dan, this is never going to work. You need to rethink this, Dan. You need to rethink this. We were doing an Easter egg hunt one time at my church down in North Carolina and we had a student that was like that. He thought it was his job to bring good news to all the people. And we were in a day like this. There may have been a couple more clouds than this. And we were walking around and we had thousands of people coming to this Easter egg hunt that we were going to do at our church. And we had rented out this big field. And this, and this little guy behind us, Joey Bagley, he was 17 and he knew everything. You know anybody like that? He was 17 and he knew everything, right? Bless his heart. And he was walking behind my pastor and I saying, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to, you see that cloud up there? You see, I don't even see a cloud to point to. You see that cloud up there? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Guess what? It didn't rain. But he thought it was his ministry. Mm. Mm. He thought it was his ministry to let us know it was going to rain. Israelites out here in a cul-de-sac-like situation, mountains on one side, Egyptians coming after them, Red Sea behind them, and they are trapped. And they let Moses know exactly how they felt about the situation. Is it because there aren't enough graves in Egypt that you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? How quickly, how quickly they lost heart. And can I point something out to you? We just read at the end of chapter 3, the, the cloud by day, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, right, was still visible to them in this cul-de-sac. God's presence had never left the people, even though they're sitting here saying, you just brought us out here to die. How quickly our circumstances change our view of God. Shouldn't that be the other way around? That our view of God shifts our circumstances? Come on now. Come on now. Y some of y'all are like, I, I want to respond to the preaching, but I'm frozen. Just let it go. Okay, anyway. One person. Got it. One person. Thank you, Elsa. Okay. But they knew they were trapped right? The mountains on the side, 
group two, section two, the Red Sea in front of them, and now the enemy, the Egyptians, section three behind them. And the situation seemed impossible, impossible situation. What was their response? They were terrified. They yelled at, they criticized Moses and what Moses had done, leading them out into the wilderness just to die. And the truth is, the truth is, and listen to me, listen to me, let me, let me say something, let me say something, because I want to make myself abundantly clear here, all right? I am, I am not calling anybody out here with this. This is true six months ago, this is true six years ago, and this same will be true six months from now, six years from now. Impossible situations often lead to fear. Impossible situations often lead to fear. That's what happens when, like Israel, people focus on human potential rather than on God's power. Impossible situations often lead to fear when we focus on human potential rather than on God's power. When we're looking down, when we're looking around, we're not looking up. And we begin to fear. And the problem with that, and these impossible situations leading to fear, the problem with that is that fear blinds us. Fear blinds us. It blinds us from doing what needs to be done. Micah and I got a chance uh, back in August to go up to Acadia, just the two of us, and do some hikes that we wouldn't normally get to do with the rest of the family. If you've ever been to Acadia and hiked Beehive, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? Ezra would love Beehive, but he's five years old and he doesn't know yet that it's a bad idea to jump off of cliffs. And so we didn't bring Ezra. It was just me and Micah and hiking Beehive. If you've never been to Beehive, there's a section of like two feet where you walk across this rod iron um, bridge. And it's not a long bridge, but it'll make you recommit yourself to the Lord just, to, just so you know where you're going if, if some, something slips or goes, you know, wrong here, okay? And I kind of prepped Micah, listen, you know, there's going to there's gonna be some sections of this trail where you're going to be nervous, right? Where you're going to be nervous, where you're going to want to turn around. But the, the truth is, bud, you can't turn around, okay? It's harder to turn around than it is just to press on and keep going. And there's going to be people behind us that if we turn around, it's going to make it a bad day if we try to get down this mountain. There were some folks that tried to turn around. They made it about 10 feet and realized it was scarier going back down than it was going back up. But can I tell you something? Micah ended up running up that mountain. I kid you not, so much so where like I didn't even have time to be scared. I'm looking and at one point I lost her. She got so far ahead of me, I lost her and I'm like, oh Lord, this is it. Like, this is it for me. This is it. And, and, and I got, we got to the top and I looked at her. I was like, I was so proud of you. You know what she said to me? She turned around. She's like, I just, I didn't have time to be scared. I had to get to the top. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, what if we all, what if like, and and I was thinking as I was standing up there with, with Micah, looking at the beauty that is the top of these, these peaks in Acadia National Park and just look at gazing at the beauty and thinking, man, God, what if I trusted you that much that I didn't even have time to look back? I didn't even have time to glance 
at the Egyptian army that's coming after us. I didn't even have time to look and analyze the situation and see that I just trusted you, that you were going to make a way. Because so often we just allow fear to blind us. To blind us from doing what needs to be done. And these Israelites were paralyzed and unfocused because of their fears. Look at verses 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And I love this verse. This verse hit me back uh, in July. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What a verse. What a verse. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. See, Moses speaks, and very eloquently, right, says, calm down. It's going to be okay, right? Calm down. It's going to be okay. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody looks at me, when I'm acting like the Israelites, and they tell me to calm down, I don't calm down. Right? Anybody else? That elevates you a little bit more? Okay, right? Yeah? You're, you're in the middle of a conversation with your spouse, and your spouse looks at you and like, you need to calm down a little bit. It's a bad day. Right? It's a bad day. Anybody, anybody been there? Okay, we're going to start a marriage class um, immediately following the service, right? That's a bad day, right? That's a bad day. And so Moses basically says, calm down, it's going to be okay. Look up and see what God is doing. And what Moses is challenging the Israelites here with is he's saying, turn your attention to God. When fear blinds you, turn your attention to God. And he's saying, stand still, stand firm, wait, watch, remember. That's the other thing Ian and I were talking about this morning as we were praying. God, look at your track record, not only in Scripture. Look at your track record in my life. Look at your track record in the church's life. Look at your track record. God, you have a perfect track record. And so when I'm acting like the Israelites, maybe I just need to stand firm and watch and wait for him to move. All right, now we're going to read a big chunk. Verse 15. We're going to read through 25. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now, I want you to say dry ground. Everybody say dry ground. I want to make sure we get that, right? There's a sea in front of us, section 1. Right? And, and God's telling Moses, our herb, right, to take out his staff, stretch it, and that there's going to be dry ground for us to pass over. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so much so that they shall go in after them. I'll get glory over Pharaoh and his host, his chariots, and his horsemen. That'll speak to somebody this morning, right? God wants to get glory over that thing that scares you. God wants to get glory over that thing that's tempting you, attacking you, right? Whew. Okay, verse 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. God protected them. God shielded them 
right? Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. There it is again, and the waters divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch the Lord, and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. What happened? God split the sea. Not only did he split the sea, I want you to get this, right? His presence, the cloud, came in between the Egyptians and the Israelites so that the Israelites had time to pass through the sea on dry ground, as the scripture says. Isn't that awesome? That God's presence blocked the thing that was keeping them from going across. We see here that God acts. Not only did he act, as always, God delivers the impossible. Notice how he did it. We already talked about it. First of all, he blocks the enemy. That, that God gave time to take the next action. He opens the sea so much that they would cross on dry land. And there's three things I want us to take away from this story this morning. And the first is this. God may provide differently than we expect. God may provide differently than we expect. See, this, this lesson has spoken to me over the years. Ask God to provide for you in whatever way He seems fit, He deems fit. Maybe you're at a job and doing work different from what you expected or hoped for. Don't always wish for something different. Don't constantly dream about being somewhere else, doing something else. Be present. Embrace your assignment on the airplane. No matter how it smells. No matter what the preference is. Can, can, can I be honest with you? There are things about the season we're in as a church that if I think on them long enough, it scares me. Being, being straight up with you. Being straight up with you. Sometimes over the last few couple months, I've, I've, I've felt a little bit like the Israelites. Because we, we put this building up for sale back in January before masks were cool and before this pandemic and 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 we went under contract with this building just before covid hit about a month before covid hit and and over the last 6 months as we've kind of sat around waiting god god what are you doing god what are you doing here God, what are you doing? I, don't, I, I really, God, we don't even know, you know, where Summit's at. Like, we tried to call a lot of you and um, keep, keep up with you as much as we possibly could. But, man, it was, it was hard. It was just a tough season. And the reality is we're still in that season in a lot of ways. Right? 
and and um because this thing's not over and so and so my prayers about mid-july shifted to god please just allow this contract to fall through so we don't have to build yet like god please allow this i haven't i haven't shared this publicly i don't even think i've shared this with our leadership team that god I might have shared a little bit about it vision night on Sunday night, but I, I was just kind of praying, God, God, um, you know it would be really cool? As if this thing just fell through and we could just stay put for a little bit and rebuild momentum as a church and just kind of, and just, and just, you know, we'll see, right? We'll kind of, kind of, we'll see God, you know, because my, 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 my ideas are better than yours, right? I'm sure you've never done that with God, but just being honest and vulnerable here. And so last Thursday night, when I got the call from Danny Patterson, my, my friend and fellow pastor, to say, hey, we, we voted and we're, we're buying your church. There was a piece of me that was like, great. I'm really excited for you. You want to fund ours? Um, no, it's like... I was like, okay, and, and, I, and, and I just started, Kristen was on a phone call, uh, she was on a Zoom meeting, and so I couldn't, I couldn't go in and talk to her, and so I, I, I just started calling our leaders, and just saying, hey, and, and so I called Ian, and I was like, hey man, they, they voted, they're, they're taking the building, he's like, okay, perfect, it's time, and if I was in front of Ian, I probably would have slapped him in that moment, <laughs> because he was too excited, Right, because I wanted him to, I wanted him to panic like the Israelites with me, but he didn't. He was excited. Let's go. Dylan, excited. Jim Carlson, pumped. And I'm like, man, guys, come on. Be fearful with me here. Right? Be fearful. This is not going to be easy. We're, we're going to have to launch a capital campaign in the middle of a pandemic. That does not sound fun. None of that sounds fun. It's like we got the Red Sea behind us. The Egyptians coming at us in the form of another church that's going to take our building. They're going to overtake our building. And I kind of feel like we're the Israelites standing in front of the building. No, we'll fight you. And the mountains, right? We got the mountains over there. I'm not sure. That's probably the amount of money, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, as I was prepared, I finally got clarity on this message on Friday. This was a message I preached for Johnny and friends back in July, but I just, I just got clarity on Friday. I thought, we're in a place where God's going to have to split the sea. Like, we're in a place where God's going to have to make dry ground. We're in a place where He's going to probably have to provide in ways that we can't see yet, that don't make sense to us yet. And the, and the, and the point where we're going to have to get is, God, we trust You. We trust You more than, than what the circumstances show us right now. We trust You more than... Than, than, than what makes sense. Because you've led us here. I don't remember who it was, but at one point this past week, 
they, they, all the things have kind of run together for me over the last week. But one of our leaders came up to me, I think it was Tuesday night. And I was like, basically said, he didn't say it this way, but he basically said, you've got to get a grip, man. <laughs> Thankful for people in my life like that. You've got to get a grip, man, because God has undoubtedly led us to this place. He's got the plan. So God may provide differently than we expect. And in this situation, in talking about a, a campaign, talking about building a building, talking about moving from here and going, going someplace else, right? This is His. This is His. But in your life as well, you may be standing in front of a Red Sea in your marriage. You may be standing in front, in front of a Red Sea in your finances. You may be standing in front of a Red Sea in your job, in your ministry. and it, what, Whatever the case may be, God may provide differently than we expect. The second thing I want us to take away from this passage is this. What God provides, what God provides is more of himself. As more of himself. There was a comedian that Kristen and I saw about a year ago, and he was from he was from the South. And so he spoke my language. Right? He spoke my language. And one one of the things that we do in the South is we don't say clear words because we combine words. Right? And we just kind of mumble in them and jumble them together um, to, to, to be words. And so uh, this comedian said. Um, that, uh, that there was a series of things that he told his kids that they weren't going to do. And, and the way he said it is he would go to his kids and say, what you're not going to do, right? What you're not going to do. Now some of you are like, what? What, you're not, what you are not going to do, right? That's the translation, right? That's, the, that's, that's, that's what it means. But he, would, he said, what you're not going to do, right? What you're not going to do is talk back to your mom. Okay, that, that type of thing, right? Let me tell you what we're not going to do. Let me tell you what we're not going to do in the midst of this season as a church. And, I, and, and, and part of me kind of feels like we're skirting the line this morning, but I'm just trying to lay the foundation for us, okay? What we're not going to do is make more of the building than we are God. We can't. We can't do that. You're not going to hear me get up on a Sunday morning and say, here's how we're going to raise $3.5 million. Can I tell you why we're not going to do that? It's not in Scripture. What God provides in these impossible situations is more of himself. What God provided for these Israelites was more of his presence to stop the Egyptians so that they could cross onto the other side and that God was going to deal with Pharaoh and his army in the way that God was going to deal with Pharaoh and his army. But God provided more of himself. Look at the reaction of the Israelites on the other side of the thing. you got to skip down to verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What did God promise to Moses and the people beforehand? That he was going to get glory over Pharaoh and his army. He was going to get the glory over the Egyptians. God provides more of himself. You know why? Because he wants to get the glory in your victory. He wants to get the glory. 
He wants to get the glory. I love what Dylan said before he sang God of this city. Uh, not God of this city, God of revival, right? I love what he said, that, that we're building this so that God can get the glory, so that more people can come to know him. That's the point. That's the point. And so what we're not going to do is take the focus off of him in this process. We can't. Can, can, can I say that a little bit more clearly? We can't take our focus off of what God is doing here because it has nothing to do with us, how cool we are, how slick we are. Nothing. Nothing. God has got to be in it. He's got to be all of it. And in your situation, your impossible situation that we talked about, right? He's going to provide more of himself because our greatest need, our greatest need is more of him. Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 through 11 says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, that's encouraging, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Scripture tells us to make the pursuit of God the primary function of our lives. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Let me ask you something, church. What's the deepest root of your joy? What God gives to you or what God is to you? I pray it's what God is to us. And then number three, God may provide differently than we expect. God provides more of himself. And then lastly, God's ultimate provision has already been given. God's ultimate provision has already been given. God's ultimate provision has already been given. Anybody else like movies? I like movies. One of the movies that um, our kids have been stuck on for what feels like the last 20 years, but it hasn't even been around that long, is The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. Anybody else? Okay, anyway. It's a pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. And at the end of it, I, I, hate, I don't want to give it away, but at the end of it, Hugh Jackman, who plays The, the Greatest Showman, he makes the comment, right? That, uh, you know, we don't need a building. Real estate in Manhattan is, in Manhattan is a terrible investment. All we need is land. And we can get land down by the river or down by the, the docks, I think he says, for nothing. All we need is a tent. Kristen said to me uh, last, in the last couple of weeks, she said, you know what? She said, we may just meet in a tent down by the river. And I got excited. Some of you are like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll fund the building. Just don't buy a tent. <laughs> Just hear the heart. One of the blessings I think we've seen over these last six months is that we really don't need a lot. I mean, look around. I don't know about you, but I'll never forget these moments as a church. with a trailer, chairs. I mean, I think we've found a place where we can save money in the new building. We don't have to buy chairs. Just bring yours. 
on Sunday morning in the facility. It's great. You're probably more comfortable than some of the chairs we've got. The focus has to be that God will always provide more of Himself and He's already given the ultimate provision that He is head of His church. He's in charge. And so God's already given the ultimate provision. James 7, 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Jesus as the ultimate treasure. So the worship team is going to come. And we're going to sing No Longer Slaves, which I think is a perfect song to end after this message today as we think about these Israelites. But I want to ask you to kind of think about this message twofold. Number one, we're going to spend the next six weeks kind of talking about some different things and building things. And I just want to make sure that we do this today to start this thing off right. And I want you to ask yourself, God, where's my heart in this? Where's my heart in this? Am I making too much of this? Am I not making enough of this? God, where's my heart in this? Help me to trust you. Show me your will and your way for this thing. God, because I believe you're going to provide in ways I don't expect. I believe, God, that that, that I don't want my fear to blind me in this. God, And you can even pray this. I don't want to be like Pastor Travis. I want to trust you more. And secondly, some of you may be standing with mountains on the side, what feels like Pharaoh's army just coming at you, the Red Sea behind you, and you need God to make an impossible situation possible. And what would that be for you today? And can I ask you this question? What would it look like? What does it look like for you to turn to God this morning and just say, God, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. It certainly doesn't make sense to me. But I trust you. I trust you. Would you say that to God this morning? I trust you. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you that you're a God that makes a way. I thank you that you're a God that's already provided the ultimate provision in your son Jesus. And God, truth be told, we don't need more of anything before we need more of Jesus. And so God, I pray that you reveal to us your will and your way. God, show us how you're going to go before us. Show us how you've already gone before us. Show us how you're blocking that which pursues us and wants to overtake us so that you can make a way for us and until we're willing to follow you. And so God, I pray for each and every one of us today in both of those situations, God, that you reveal your heart to us, that you reveal yourself to us. And as Jim Carlson said Sunday night, God, that we would hear your voice. God, we want to hear your voice. God, we want to see your glory. So give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your will and your way for us, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.